number of people. Fast Talk, Street Talk, Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk, Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, the skies are about to open, ladies and gentlemen, but don't worry, it's not going to do any good whatsoever uh, because, of course, we haven't got enough water in this country, uh, not least because the water companies leak most of it into the ground. Uh, but we're told by all these experts, these climate deniers, climate associates, climate fanatics, climate maniacs, they're all saying it's the wrong kind of rain, though. It won't matter, it won't make any difference at all because no matter where it falls, it will simply run off uh, into a river which will then flood uh, so that you will then have flash flooding, like they had in Inverness yesterday. I mean, in Inverness, it rains all the time, pretty much. And the only time it stops raining is so you get bitten by a load of midges. But apparently, um, they couldn't handle the rain yesterday, so they got flooded instead. Anyway, I'm looking forward to it. Um, obviously, the heat wave is going to be over soon. For those, some of you, you never had a heat wave. Uh, and lots of you have had plenty to say about all of this over the course of the weekend, uh, where I've been accused of all kind of idiocy uh, by suggesting that we live on an island surrounded by water, which you might think would enable us to actually irrigate the place properly. Uh, but apparently, you can't use salt water on the land. Mm. As if you didn't know that. Really? Extraordinary. Anyway, great news there on the uh, uh, back end of the news bulletin. Harry and Meghan are coming back. I wonder if he's going to ask for police protection this time, or is it going to be safer than it was last time? Or, you know, does anybody really care? I can't say I'm looking forward to it. Coming up in this hour, uh, Baroness Fox of Buckley is going to be joining us. She's also director of the Academy of Ideas, where I'm going to be making an appearance later this year uh, with Kevin O'Sullivan by special appointment. Uh, but we'll talk more about that later. We'll talk, obviously, about what happened to Salman Rushdie. Uh, we'll talk about all manner of other things. The Labour Party have apparently come out uh, with a plan to actually cap energy prices. Now, you might think that that would be pretty obvious, right? You might think that that's the kind of thing that the Tory party should be doing, that the government should be doing. But no, they've got an energy cap that actually isn't a cap. It's almost like wearing a hat with a hole in it, right? It doesn't protect you from anything. It might as well not call it a hat. Why call it a cap if it doesn't stop the price going up? And according to uh, uh, new figures, three out of four Tory voters uh, are in favour of Labour's plan. Well, I'll tell you why. That's because it's the only plan on, in town. So, of course, they're in favour of it because the Tories don't have a plan. They're still trying to work out who should be Prime Minister. The current Prime Minister is on holiday. Uh, he's been on holiday twice already since he's no longer been Prime Minister. But he is still Prime Minister. But he can't do anything because he's not in charge, really. There was actually a headline last week in which it said Prime Minister goes to meeting. You know, I do despair sometimes. Peter Hitchens is here as well. Uh, He's going to be talking about the cult of man-made global warming. He'll also tell us about Doctor Who. Wrote a very funny column this week. We're also going to talk about the football because quite a a weekend of football, wasn't it? Manchester United getting horsed by Brentford 4-0. They're off to their worst start in 100 years. Meanwhile, uh, there was a big punch-up uh, at Stamford Bridge yesterday between Chelsea manager um, uh, Antonio Conte and Thomas Tuchel, uh, who's the Chelsea manager. Graham Souness, who is in this very building on Talk Sport, even as we speak, um, he's just been talking to us saying that, uh, huh, got in a bit of trouble about that man's game comment. Yeah, watching a game played by men, he called it a man's game. Now apparently he's a gross misogynist and sexist and should never work again. <sighs> Anyway, uh, also I've got a couple of great videos to to show you as well. And we'll talk to uh, the legendary James Whale about a number of things because we need to seek his counsel. 0344 499 1000. There's a lot going on. There's an awful lot to talk about, by the way. Um, What else are we doing? Um, Oh, John Redwood. Yeah, he's here as well. Incredible. And there's another train strike, except it's not a strike. It's just people not doing any overtime, which effectively is the same as having a strike. There's no trains. 
Brilliant. Um, this is Talk TV. Let's do it. Oh, here's another one for you. <laughs> Two thirds of desks empty as staff stay home most of last week because it's too hot. So the average um, working week last week consisted of 2.1 days. Brilliant, isn't it? Marvellous. I was here all, all week, I think. I worked five days. Anyway, let's talk to Claire Fox. Hello, Claire. Hello. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I mean, I'm sorry to sound slightly incredulous here, but um, that whole list of things that I just talked about, you do wonder what's going on with the world. I mean, it's, it's almost as though... We're living in this kind of parallel universe of, of madness, isn't it? Well, the worst thing is, I think, that there are genuinely some very frightening and challenging things that we have to sort out mm. and face. We're going to talk about free speech. That's one of them. But yeah. also, we're going to face a very serious economic situation and we're not sure how to get through it and the bills and so on. Yeah. But on top of that, actually, the fact that we've just had a lovely, lovely period of beautiful weather has been turned into a crisis. Yeah. And you just feel all the time that no matter what happens, they're going to label it a crisis. And I think that just has the impact of demoralising people and frightening them. Mm. So that rather than concentrating on the things that we need to resolve, we end up getting scared by things that we actually don't need to worry yes. about. Yes. I mean, the fire business last week was an absolute great example of that, you know, because instead of just saying, look, it's very dry at the moment, just be careful. You know, don't do anything stupid. You know, even then, with the warnings, people still did do something stupid. A couple of guys in Lincoln went out with a, a portable barbecue and set fire to the countryside. You know, I mean, that's idiotic, right? You can't really legislate for that. You can't really make those people behave like in, individual clever people because they're clearly simpletons, right? But instead of just saying, look, it's a bit dry, just be careful, you know, they make out that it's like it's going to be like this for the rest of time and you're never ever going to be able to recover the land and you're never going to be able to grow any crops and all the farmers' potatoes are baking in the fields. It's all rubbish. But it's one thing, it's one thing I can understand that, you know, if you're a farmer, you might well be concerned about this, but they turn it into all of us have to be in a panic about it. Yeah. And most people actually wanted to relax and enjoy a bit of, summertime with their family or you know do nice things go swimming i don't know sit in the garden whatever it might be yeah that got turned into something you needed to be frightened of and there's this sort of atmosphere of catastrophism no matter what in the meantime the actual major problem of for example not building reservoirs and you know uh, planning problems getting in the way, environmental objections to building of reservoirs, things that might actually be able well, to resolve. Well, isn't, isn't it ironic, Claire, that most of the objections to building reservoirs come from people who want to try and make out that they're being green? So apparently exactly, having a reservoir is against uh, is against the planet. So so we get, end up in a situation where you haven't got the desalinisation uh, plant. Uh, the, 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 your, your point about we're surrounded by sea... Yeah. Yes, don't put that on the garden. But it is true that if it went through a desalinisation process, then yeah, we but, might get somewhere, that's right? That's the other thing, right? People, assume, people assume that because I said we should take the water out of the sea and use it for a good purpose, they're going, you're an idiot. Don't you know you can't use salt water? Well, of course I know that. The point is, is that desalination plants are used on cruise ships. Uh, they're used all over the world in various hot countries where people don't have enough drinking water. And it's not as if it's a ridiculous idea, but the fact is apparently it's also not green. And that's why we don't do it. The main thing is, is that there are potentially technological solutions to a lot of the problems facing us. 
But that requires infrastructure, it requires investment, it requires forward planning, and it requires people to stop saying, stop using technology to solve the problems. Because one of the issues that we have had all the time is an environmentalist outlook that basically says that the whole development of modern technological use is itself causing the problem. Yeah. And so they therefore stop the solutions that we need to what are not as serious a problem as people are making mm. out anyway. Yes. Because the truth of the matter is, is that the climate is changing. You have to adapt in a modern world to the way the climate changes. And you can do that mm. by applying science and technology. But actually, they won't let that happen, no. many of these environmentalists. Exactly right. No, I mean, you'd be a lot cooler if you had some air conditioning. But, oh, no, you can't use that. No, just to open the windows. Well, no, that doesn't actually work. One of my favourite pieces of irony over the weekend was one fire that was caused in a block of flats over in somewhere in East London uh, was somebody would stored an electric bicycle inside the uh, the house and it spontaneously combusted because the battery overheated, it went on fire, burnt the house well, down. You know, well, sorry, that's yeah, not exactly. very safe for the environment either. Exactly. Well, there was actually a serious fire of electric buses uh, precisely in that way. I mm. mean, you have to be very careful about electric vehicles. They are actually not necessarily the solution all the time. But I do agree that was an irony. Yeah, it really was. Let's talk about freedom of speech, because obviously it's massive uh, this week after what happened to Salman Rushdie over in uh, America. The Iranian government this morning has come out and said, well, he brought that on himself. I mean, how disgraceful is that? So I think that the, the attack on Salman Rushdie was so chilling and so uh, visceral, really, mm. that we uh, can only be delighted that he seems to have survived what was a very brutal attack. Yeah. Although with, you know, uh, life-changing injuries, it mm. seemed his, some very serious damage to his eye and being stabbed 15 times. Can you imagine? But I think the why it matters is because the Salman Rushdie fatwa that... Um, we all remember you you almost wanted to believe that maybe that had kind of gone away yeah. as he himself had said that he'd actually become more confident about going out he wasn't in, any longer in hiding yeah and the fact that then he was brutally assaulted in this way was a reminder of the fact that it that particular fact well hasn't gone away mm. but i think that it's not just that particular attack on uh, salman rushdie the threat that because you write a novel that offends uh, certain uh, members of the um, uh, Islamic faith that that can somehow threaten your life is the kind of sense of apology um, that happened both at the time uh, that he was originally attacked we saw subsequently with the Charlie Hebdo uh, massacre of those uh, cartoonists and, and uh, journalists who put out a satirical magazine making fun of uh, the Prophet yeah. Muhammad whenever these things happen there's an immediate sense in which everybody says, I'm pro-free speech, no ifs, no buts. And then you start getting the buts. But it is offensive. But we have to be sensitive. We can't have a situation where you just blaspheme in a gratuitous way. In other words, people make excuses mm. for it. And the reality is, is that what has happened since the original fatwa is that, to quote Kenan Malik, the, the, the brilliant writer on race, who also writes a column for The Observer, he made the point that what's happened is we've internalized the fact well, that the sort of sense in which you know now that you can't offend certain groups mm. because it might get you in trouble. Okay, it might not lead to your to a death threat, but that, that somehow we've rode back. And I think it's very important that uh, a, a writer like Hannah Qureshi made the point that no one would have the courage to write 
uh, Salman Rushdie's Midnight Children today. Nobody would write a novel like right. that. And even if they wrote it, the publishers would never publish no, it. No, they wouldn't, because they'd, they'd be frightened of the... Of, of the and, yeah. you know, it's, and it's almost being scared into silence, isn't it? That you're scared to talk about things, uh, as we saw with the grooming gangs, as we saw with the police uh, and the operations that they ran very, very badly up in places like Rotherham um, and Rochdale because they were too frightened of offending people. It's unbelievable. And, and I mean, you know, you say you might not get a death threat, but J.K. Rowling writes in uh, support of Salman Rushdie, and she gets a message saying, you're next. Exactly. And the, 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 the reality of J.K. Rowling's life is that um, she gets death threats fairly regularly. And the issues in which we are no longer allowed to offend, so we know that the particular issue of radical Islamists who have made a, 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 such a, a huge issue out of uh, the offence of, of, of Islam that they frightened, for example, that teacher in, in Batley Grammar School yeah. into hiding. Who's still in uh, hiding, where, I think. Uh, exactly. And also where a film was closed down. I mean, this doesn't get mentioned enough. You know, Our Lady of Heaven was closed down. Yeah. Cine World and various cinemas just pulled it after there was an, a, a demonstration outside the cinemas. Artistic censorship happens gets forgotten about within a couple of days on that very issue. But we now know that there's a whole range of other issues that act almost as though they're, you know, the the, the pictures of Muhammad, right? Yeah. So now you cannot offend, for example, on the issue of trans and gender identity because you'll be treated equally as though there's a fact war against mm. Yes, and that is increasingly uh, being a sort of you know uh, augmented, if you like, and 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 subsidised, if you like, by by sort of liberal politics and liberal politicians and people who should know better. But Claire, so there we are. We're going to be back in a moment talking to Baroness Fox of Buckley, director of the Academy of Ideas. We've got lots more to talk to her about, including, of course, the censorship of Jerry Sadowitz up at Edinburgh uh, Festival, and of course, much more besides, including why Thomas Hardy's a bad man. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're talking to Claire Fox, Baroness Fox indeed of Buckley. Uh, she's also director of the Academy of Ideas. Claire, we were talking about Simon Rushdie and J.K. Rowling before. Um, there's also more censorship of books going on in universities than ever before. There's a piece this morning, I know you've been talking about the, uh, uh, the stuff in uh, some of the universities that was around at the weekend books being taken off the, the reading list because they might upset students. Today we've got Thomas Hardy's work uh, now coming with a trigger warning. Apparently um, the Victorian realist uh, is being described as uh, depicting the cruelty of nature. And so that now apparently should not be allowed uh, to uh, be given to students at the University of Warwick. I mean, it's getting ridiculous, isn't it? So I studied English literature at Warwick University. Did you? And the idea that the, one of the greatest... I mean, English writers ever, Thomas Hardy. Yeah. Uh, Warwick are right on this bit, by the way. He does depict cruelty of nature. Yeah. He also depicts cruelty of human beings. He also depicts great love, great humanity, all sorts of things. Yeah. I never, I never he understood the. the I, never, so I, I never understood the Thomas Hardy imagery that English lit teachers always told you was there. I just love the books. I was like, I don't really care if he's depicting something in red or white. I just like it. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you know, I taught English, so you should have been in my lessons. I would have explained it better. <laughs> but anyway, um, the point about Thomas Hardy and the, the point about this story, which can seem a bit glib, having talked about Salman Rushdie, is there's just a tendency at the moment to say to young people at university that the study of great literature or indeed non-literature might have an upsetting effect. And the irony of, 
this is that great literature does have an upsetting mm. effect because it moves you it it can challenge you it makes you think in ways that you never thought before and if it if it if it was indifferent and nice kind of soft so, you know soapy lovely warm feeling at the end of it to be honest with you it probably wouldn't be great literature no this underestimates students it's they always use the excuse of saying one or two students have complained i mean i was really genuinely shocked that um strindberg's miss julie the play has been uh, removed permanently from sussex university's reading list yeah. because there was suicide there was some suicides by students and they said therefore they couldn't have a play that had uh, uh, any kind of reference to suicide. Now, this is again one of the great works of European literature. Um, sadly, uh, never mind a trigger warning. They've given the game away yeah. or given the end away by telling us it's about suicide because you're not meant to know that. Right. Um, but you are meant to read these things with sensitivity. So we're depriving young people of these great works of art on the basis that that somehow literature, which is exactly the argument used by Salman Rushdie, isn't it? That somehow literature is dangerous. Mm. Now that's what uh, that fatwa says about Salman Rushdie. It's not glib to say that, therefore, to uh, label literature as somehow going to be the cause of great distress to people, I think actually makes us in a situation where it's a soft, a soft sort of fatwa. Mm. Yeah. A lot of people say, oh, trigger warnings, they're just daft. You know, they just tell you what you shouldn't do it. But if you actually read this, some books are actually removed. But some students are offered, well, that's not very regular, by the way, but sometimes they're used to say that students can opt out of discussions on these works mm. because they might find them upsetting, i.e. they won't be getting an education. Yes, and not only that, the but, seminar. but also will it not have the, the chilling effect of, as, as you said, about you know nobody would write satanic verses now, you're going to basically kind of um, strangle creativity because you're going to say to people well you better not write about that because nobody will publish it or you better not sing a song about that or you better not you know make a film about this because somebody will will kill you or they'll boycott it you know so you have this kind of effect of 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 saying that you can only operate in this lane and you can't do anything on either side of it and also it means that lecturers and academics will be much more careful about what books they choose to put on reading lists but this is one of the ironies a lot of the books that have caused um, newspaper headlines and that got revealed by the Times when they sent out a lot of freedom of information requests to um, universities, a lot of those books centred on, wait for it, slavery. Mm. And the irony is that they were often on the reading lists as part of an attempt by the universities to decolonise and tick the box of saying, we're making sure that we cover slavery a lot. Yeah. Now it's backfired on them because they're now teaching so many books to right. contain images of slavery that students are fight saying i find that upsetting but don't let's forget that actually i don't want to blame students for this i do think it's university academics and administrators who are basically assuming that young people need to be mollycoddled and it becomes a fait accompli that young people then feel frightened of books instead of seeing them mm. as a liberation and a way yeah. of understanding the world better. Oh, I think this is definitely being driven by the academic uh, teachers rather than the students. I think most of the students are more than happy to be given uh, lessons in whatever it is that, that they're sitting there being taught. You know, I don't think they've got trigger triggered by, by anything. And I think, you know, they're more than happy to... to most of the young people I know actually are going the other way. And they're saying, actually, we don't want all this molly coddling. We want to go out and have a good time. You know, my son uh, was having his uh, 18th birthday party in the garden yesterday... 
jumping up and down on trampolines and all sorts, you know. And I'm going, this is what you should be doing. You know, a couple of beers. He's 18 now. Why not? Um, but, you know, there would be people going, oh, that's very dangerous, that. You better not let them jump on a trampoline. You might fall off and end up in hospital. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's called life, isn't it? But even if even if there were, say, for example, just even in that instance, even if there were other uh, 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 his mates there who said, God, that's a bit dangerous and I don't think we should do it. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you should stop everyone else. And no. I think what we've got here is uh, that academics use some students, one or two activists or or people who are particularly sensitive. They use them and almost use them as an excuse, like a stage army and say students have demanded this. In fact, it might only be one or two, not the general student uh, population. But anyway, the job of academics is not to uh, accommodate to every student wish. I mean, students might say, I find exams too hard, don't want to do them. Academics are not meant to go, oh, that's all right, then we won't have exams, although mm. in fact, often they do. But what happens is you can accommodate to those students, but that's your spinelessness. And in my opinion, at the moment, students are being sold well short and it's going to be disastrous because already I know a lot of people think that what's the point of studying arts and humanities at all these universities, you know, go out, get a job. You know, these irrelevant subjects, are, I mean, Rishi Sunak's even saying this, where you can't earn a living because mm. you're doing arts and humanities. What a waste of time. And I want to defend the arts and humanities. But when you see what's going on in terms of the way they're taught, then actually it becomes harder to defend mm. them. Yeah, absolutely right. And we'll just finish off with something I'm going to talk about later on in the show. Graham Souness is in uh, Talk Sport today. He's in terrible trouble because he described the punch-up between two managers yesterday at Stamford Bridge as a man's game. Um, and, of course, all the women's football uh, fanatics are all up in arms going, but the women won uh, in the summer and it's what everyone's talking about and how can he be so old-fashioned and misogynistic? And it's like, well, you're all right to call it a woman's game then, but you're not OK to call it a man's game, apparently. Well, the irony of this uh, little debate is that when the Lionesses, who, by the way, you know, did inspire us all and it was brilliant, I'm quite, yeah, in, I got into all that quite enthusiastically. But one thing that really irritated me was the number of people who said the Lionesses are brilliant footballers. And then they went on to say, but isn't it uh, wonderful to see women playing football where there's not as much aggression? They're very different to the men. The men are all sort of, you know, into fouling and fighting and lots of swearing, whereas the women are, are kind of passive and lovely. And I thought that was insulting to women's football. But that argument that there's a distinction between the women's game and the men's game was made by the supporters of the women's football yeah. uh, uh, phenomena. Now you have a situation where, as it were, their, their point was almost made by a big scrap, a big football yeah. team. And then describing that as something to do with men somehow is sexist. I know. It's mad, isn't it? It's really hard to keep up, Claire. Thank goodness uh, that we are on the same page on most of this stuff. Anyway, Baroness Fox of Buckley. Um, I like it, actually, when we disagree on things as well. Uh, she's going to be at the Academy of Ideas, a big meeting going on in October. We're going to be there as well. Uh, she's the director of it. We've got lots more to do, though, and we'll keep your calls coming. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. Let's get some news. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We've got loads going on. Uh, Mike says this, we're in an energy crisis, it's going to rain and there'll be floods. The Prime Minister's AWOL on his second honeymoon and the endless Tory leadership race drones on three times an hour. A bleeding advert on Talk TV says today this could be the greatest day of our lives. Well, listen, 
There's nothing wrong with optimism, is there? Uh, and obviously, you've got to pay uh, for me somehow. So somebody's got to advertise in order for me to get the money that I need uh, to be able to continue with the uh, support of all of my dependents. So please, uh, don't cancel any of the adverts. Uh, this dry weather and brown grass is great for golf. My drives are going much further, says Pete. I just need to make sure they are straight. And Dave says, Mike, I think it is long overdue that when things need doing in the national interest, such as building more reservoirs, fracking, oil drilling, building nuclear power stations, etc., that local objections should be ignored and that anyone trying to impede progress should be dealt with harshly. Well, Dave, I don't want to live in a, a world where you can just absolutely steamroller over any reasonable objections. But the problem with people objecting to things is that it's very clear in this day and age now that people object on the basis of uh, climate change, on the basis of environmentalism. And these are organised activity activist groups, right? So what they're doing is deliberately stopping the building of reservoirs anywhere. No matter where you say you're going to put it, they object and it doesn't get done. No matter where you're going to build a nuclear power plant, they object, it doesn't get done. No matter where you want to frack, they object, it doesn't get done. It's not about the local people, it's about the people who actually are against any kind of modernisation of our country. And that's why, because we've listened to these bozos for so long, that we are in the place that we are in. It's absolutely ridiculous. And there's still plenty of them out there going... Don't you know the climate is changing? Don't you know we're all going to die unless we start living like we did during the Stone Age? Well, no, actually. We live in a civilised society. We have the wherewithal to make our lives better. Let's not make them worse, shall we? Let's talk to Professor Len Shackleton, who's a rail expert at the Institute of Economic Affairs, because there are some people out there uh, who drive trains who are interested in bringing this country to a complete standstill. The latest news from Avanti West Coast is that basically the Manchester line to London is going to be screwed for the foreseeable future. They're not selling tickets for it. They're saying they're having to go down from seven trains to one. Why? Because the drivers are on an unofficial go slow, effectively, where they're saying they're not going to do any overtime. Len, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Hello, Mike. Now, this is not technically a strike, but it might as well be, mightn't it? Because it sounds to me as though the Avanti West Coast line is going to be an absolute chaos for the best part of the next month. Yeah, the unions are, are pushing on the on the legal position in a number of ways. I've noticed that, for example, they're overriding the um, code of practice on picketing at Euston, where yeah. they've got quite large pickets out there. Um, they're, um, you know, as you say, they're using unofficial strikes, which are supposed to be outlawed. Um, they're talking about uh, convening a general strike, which, of course, again, is is uh, is not permissible under current. Uh, legal arrangements mm. so it's getting a little uh, a little tense this this business yes it really is because what we're basically looking at here is two sets of people um who won't and seemingly can't agree on anything um and it seems almost willful you know you've got the union accusing the train company of telling lies and saying that actually they haven't hired enough people to do the jobs what they don't say is that they're actually working a four-day week and that they like doing the overtime because they get extra money for it. They just don't want to do it at the moment. In the meantime, the train company is saying they're deliberately not doing any overtime, which screws up our service. So, so they're kind of both right and both wrong, aren't they? Well, the, the, the union, the, the union disputes which are around, apart from the pay thing, which is fairly obvious, but a lot of the other disputes stretch back decades. You know, the the, the idea of rostering people at weekends and so on is something which the railways have been struggling with for a hundred years mm. now. Uh, if we look at the the business of uh, maintenance workers 
uh, being prepared to work at Euston, but not at King's Cross. That, again, that dates back to pre-nationalisation right. days. Right. There's all sorts of things which have just been got a driver-only operation. You know, that's another issue which is still bubbling under. Uh, it's been bubbling under for 40 years, you know, since, since this idea yes. first came in. So we've got some very ancient issues here which are holding back productivity, which are holding back... Uh, you know, the, the development of the railways, which in principle ought to be gaining market share in a situation where it's become more and more difficult to drive, where freight deliveries, uh, you know, are jammed up on motorways and so forth. And yet, uh, you know, you've got the unions which seem to be saying, you know, stop the world. I just want a mm. pay increase. Yeah, well, exactly right. And, and uh, you know, I won't, we, won't, we won't work until we get one. And all this kind of um, solidarity between the unions is is leading into what they're calling a summer uh, of discontent or a summer of strife and they're trying to make out that it's the working class people of this country who have had enough and they want to see better uh, money shared out between the rail companies and the workers and all the rest of it but the fact remains that weekend travel now is far bigger than weekday travel not least because of the working from home scenario which we'll get on to later so weekends are actually busier now on the trains than they than during the week that's absolutely right and and they you know the, the working uh, working practices have to be reconfigured to to um, accommodate this. Uh, you know, the 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 revenue of the, the railways is way way down because people travelling at weekends, of course, don't pay as much as uh, the people who were commuting or travelling for business and so forth. Mm. And that that market is gone. They've got to build on 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 the leisure travel market, and they've got to make it convenient for people to travel when they want to travel, where they want to travel, and not have uh, you know, the, the whole business being being really uh, a gamble about whether you're going to be able to make connections anywhere, whether this particular part of the network is working or not, and, and so on. No, exactly right. And meanwhile, the Labour Party can't seem to work out exactly what's going on because they had three members of their sort of uh, front bench team, I think, talking to uh, the rail unions at the weekend. Meanwhile, Keir Starmer still doesn't think it's a good idea to talk to them or to support their strike. Yeah, you know, clearly it's a difficult position for Keir Starmer here. He's got a a large number of of his members of parliament who are sympathetic to the unions, whatever the issue may be. And, uh, you know, he's just got to try and handle that. Uh, I, I think the, the, we shouldn't make too much of, of these people talking to the unions. These things will happen. Uh, but Well, except um, he's it, told them not to go on picket lines or else they'll be punished. He's told them not to go on picket lines. Yeah. That's absolutely right. And it, it is... Uh, you know, you can quote instances of these. You're old enough to remember, I think, uh, Mike, when Shirley Williams used to go on picket lines yeah. and so on. You know, um, but uh, there's well, there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong. With, there's nothing wrong with going on picket lines. I'm quite happy for people to go on picket lines, but it seems yeah. a bit odd that the Labour Party leader would say don't go on them, and then everybody does, and he doesn't do anything. <laughs> Well, <laughs> it's a, it's a, you know it's a, it's a problem with the Labour Party at the moment. It's it's got it's facing open goal after open goal uh, with the Conservatives at the moment. They don't seem to be able to do anything no. about it. The well, this is why this is why. And, well, this is it. I mean, we're going to talk later about about this with John Redwood, but this is why uh, three out of four Tory voters are uh, in favour of Keir Starmer's plan on energy because the Tories don't seem to have a plan. So it's the only plan they've seen. Well, that's right. It's very difficult at the moment to make decisions on anything, isn't it? To go back to the railways, of course, one of the problems is that uh, they can't, you know, the train operating companies and rail track can't really negotiate on pay because they're totally dependent Mm. on subsidy from the government at the moment with revenue so far down. And the, you know, the, the caretaker government can't 
you know, can't commit itself. Uh, so it's going to be at least three or four weeks before we get a meaningful payoff for from from uh, from the government and that's that's a problem i think i think that is very very much the heart of the problem uh len appreciate it thank you very much indeed len shackleton from the iea he's a rail expert the problem with having a caretaker government is that they basically all sacked themselves the tories they were doing fine and then suddenly they just decided to blow up um, their own car incredible it's like driving a formula one race and deliberately crashing into the side uh, of the first bend well done guys this is talk tv Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's my first proper week back, so I should say thank you very much indeed to all of you for joining me. Uh, I was here on Friday, but before that I was doing breakfast for Julie Hartley Brewer because uh, she was away. So I am now back in my rightful place and all's well with the world. Well, it's not actually, um, but I'm just going to say that to see if it works any better than saying that it's not. Peter Hitchens is here uh, to talk through a bunch of things, including a fascinating idea uh, for a new TV show called Dr. Watt. Uh, which I quite like the sound of. And uh, instead of Doctor Who, obviously, for those of you wondering, uh, we'll talk a bit about whether the rains are going to come. Apparently the wrong kind of rain is going to fall today because uh, what it won't do, apparently, is saturate the ground because the ground's too hard. This is coming from people who have never studied any kind of geology uh, or indeed any kind of geography or indeed even climatology. They just reckon that they know more about saving the planet than I do seems a fairly uh, substandard thing to do or say. Now, uh, coming up also, we're going to be talking to John Redwood uh, because three and four Tory voters back Labour's energy plan. Uh, that'll be because the Tories actually don't have an energy plan. So presumably this is the only plan they can vote for. Uh, also, we'll be talking later on uh, to James Whale uh, because people are giving up their pets, apparently, because of this hot weather. I don't quite know why. Uh, and we'll be taking a trip down uh, to the south coast to see what's going on down there. I think you all know uh, what that all means as well. Thomas Hardy uh, is the latest man to be uh, told that he is not to be read by students in case he upsets them. The University of Warwick says that he depicts the cruelty of nature. Um, I don't know what's wrong with that. Peter Hitchens, um, you're a fan of Thomas Hardy? Some of it, yeah. It's not... It's quite uh, dark, it, isn't it? Well, it's not, my favourite of his books is Jude the Obscure, which yeah. is full of misery from mm. start to finish. Yes, I quite like it. That's why I like it. I so. fell upon a book called Desperate Remedies, which was his first novel. And the thing I liked about it was that he was clearly practising for his later novels because almost everything in later novels is in this book. Yeah. And with I, a, but well, not people, quite so well done. People do do that. Some of the poems are good as well. Yeah. It's a very fine one called Old Furniture, which I recommend everybody to read. It's mm. beautiful. Now, since I've been away, and I haven't seen you for about three weeks, um, not much has changed really, has it? We still oh, don't no. have a Prime Minister. No, we still don't have a Prime Minister. We still don't have a Leader of the Opposition. We still have an opposition. There's still trade strikes. Yep. Uh, there are still train strikes, and no, no, it's all it's all much the same. The crisis continues, and it's all it's still too hot. Uh, it's still too hot. Although apparently today's going to be the last day of it being too hot well, for a while. Yesterday in my church, we had the prayer for rain. Did you? Yep. Well, it's apparently worked because it's going to rain. It rained in Inverness yesterday. Well, there you are. You see, so uh, wide-ranging rain, and apparent, but the wrong kind of rain is going to fall apparently today. It may well be so. That's what I've actually read from some meteorologists. They've actually said it's the wrong would kind the, of rain. Is there a, a wetter sort of rain which could fall, which would be any better? Or, is this just a, well, it's a not problem clear. It's not, clear. not having been any rain. Yeah. It's a bit dry. It's not clear what they mean by the wrong kind of rain, but I think what they do mean is that it won't actually do any good to the to saturate it's the soil. It's like the effect... I remember this in the 80s particularly. Cause and effect only works when it suits people. Yes. When the interest rates, the Bank of England interest rates, went 
up yeah. in the 1980s. My mortgage rate went up within mm. about 30 seconds. Right. When the Bank of England interest rates went down, it took them about three months of pondering before yes. they reduced them. <laughs> and this, this cause and effect works in a way right. that suits people. And in, in front uh, of you, a, lot of people, a lot of people really want there to be a crisis yeah. over this. Well, they do. Well, they want to be a crisis over everything. But it's similar with the, the wholesale price of oil, isn't it? Because whenever the wholesale price of oil goes up, Petrol prices go up, but when it comes down, they don't go it's down. It's amazing, isn't it? Mm, very interesting. Someone should do a study of it. They should. But on the other, but who will pay for it? This uh, well, not, not the oil companies. Well, they could for pay sure. for it, but then the but result then would be different. But this is the thing about research. People think that it's just done. <laughs> right. That there's a sort of body sitting on a hill somewhere in a beautiful plate glass building with yeah. white coated people doing research. Mm. They don't realise that research only gets done when someone's prepared to pay for it. Yes. And the, the person who's paying for it often wants a particular result. Yes. Well, so, I'm told... And, and so it, a lot of things just never get research. No, I'm told by some academics in Scotland who are actually too frightened to be named and come on this show to tell me this officially, but that if you are not a supporter of the SNP and you are in academia in Scotland, you will get no grants whatsoever from the government oh. um, unless you kind of convert to the other side. Yeah, well, that's very childish, So, but I, it, it, it's... It, not it's, surprising. Yeah, there you are. It really isn't. Tell us about your plan for, for this show called Doctor What. Well, yeah, I, my, my view is that Doctor Who is a complete failure in terms of predicting the, the, the future. I, I remember the first uh, appearance of the Daleks. So do I. I, I watched it. In, mm. uh, in it was a, terrifying at the time. It was absolutely terrifying. But actually, when you think about it, the Daleks, first of all, didn't exist. And right. secondly, they weren't that bad. I mean, right. we all know they can't go upstairs. They, they go upstairs. They have no sense of humour. And there are all kinds of other drawbacks, which make it rather difficult to believe they'll ever dominate the world. But what was just coming down the road at the time mm. he predicted the Daleks was comprehensive education. Yeah. Far more frightening, far more disastrous. If only he'd seen that coming. Yeah. And, and longer I, lasting. I, I, it, apparently eternal. And we, we, I thought that it would be useful to have uh, this character, Dr. Watts, a so, so grizzled old, old, old geezer, right. slightly hard of hearing, with an attractive young assistant. Yes. Perhaps uh, travelling by steam train, which yes. is a, the modern equivalent of the police that box, would be good. into the past. Mm. Because nobody knows anything about the past anymore. It's much more surprising than the future. Yes. And uh, and this Doctor Watch could go there and find all these amazing surprises about how much better we used to do yes. so, so many things that we do. As badly you said, now. like for example, police officers on patrol. Yeah, what a shock that would be! You know, that would be a shock. Yeah, people failing examinations. Although, do you know, I came um, back into London yesterday and actually drove past three different scenes where there were police in attendance. I was wondering what was going on. Yeah. One was um, complete with a forensic van. So presumably some crime. Maybe after the crime They were investigating. The second one was as I was walking in towards the office, um, there were three police officers standing outside Guy's Hospital where they had taped off an area and they were just standing there. They'd love a bit of taping. They love a bit of taping. And I presume some crime had been committed there. So they were guarding it, I guess. I, mean, yeah, I don't what know why. You did not see. You did not see a police officer <laughs> on patrol walking along. To, to stop the on. actual crime before it happened. No, no, that wouldn't have been the case no, at all. Also, that. trains um, ah. running reasonably, sort of uh, regularly, and of course, going to the place where you wanted to go, as opposed to taking you somewhere where you didn't want to go. Yes, that would be quite shocking. Because it? we've now got another crisis of uh, the West Coast Line, where I'm told that uh, the Avanti drivers will no longer work overtime, and as a result of that, they can't run any trains. Yes. It seems weird to run a train company with drivers who can only drive trains when they're on overtime. It does. You know? It's one of the mysteries. <laughs> I mean, I, the, the, once upon a time when I was a, a, a labour and industrial correspondent, I understood all these things. Yeah. There was a marvellous thing called flexible rostering, mm. which caused a lot of trouble 
in, I think it was the late 1970s yeah. or early 1980s. Right. We called it flexible roistering, but it was, whatever it was, yeah. it was very complicated and yes. it led to... Well, there's clearly a lot of that still I going think there on. could be some flexible... Yeah. But as far as I know, quite a few train companies still rely entirely on overtime for Sunday work. Yes, they do. And that's, that's an amazing hangover from the days when this, this, the Sabbath day was mm. still taken seriously. And when we and can't when, blame the unions for hanging on to it. Though, well, you we? can't. I mean, it's, it's a bit like you can't blame the unions for trying to negotiate a better pay deal. I mean, yeah. I don't blame the likes of Mick Lynch for trying to get a better deal for his, for his uh, fellow workers. However, you know, there comes a point where you say, well, yeah, but you can't have all of these other little gifts. I'm told that TFL, for example, if you work for TFL, your working day starts as soon as you walk out your front door. So that basically that's when your shift begins you will get a car to where you have to go to work and you'll get a car home and the travelling time will be included in whatever your eight-hour shift is. I think these things all show what happens in the, the, the few remaining parts of the economy where unions are still strong. Mm. Uh, in, most, in most places, they simply aren't anymore. No, exactly. Let's talk about the other thing you wrote about, the cult of man-made global warming. Oh. Um, because I've, again, been um, forced to defend a statement that I made last Thursday all weekend, 300,000 people have now watched this clip on Twitter, in which I suggested, why not, since we live on an island, could we not make use of the seawater to try and make sure that we don't suffer from any droughts? Well, the desalination plants are shut. Yeah. Well, the ma- apparently, one. Thames water has a desalination. Well, it's very expensive, yeah. the problem with desalination. You, you look at it, you think, particularly in the Middle East, uh, the, the, and all the countries which are along the, the edge of yeah. the Mediterranean, they could really do with the water, but it, it's so energy mm. dependent. There's a huge one apparently in Saudi Arabia because yeah, they use the sun. If you, if you get really fast, so you can use the sun to do it, I think. But it, it's still it's it's very very yeah. intensive. It's a very attractive solution, but it doesn't it doesn't quite seem to. Work. I don't know whether it's that much drier most of the time and there is a, obviously a drought across mm. Europe this year and a lot of the European rivers are low yeah. although they're not apparently I've, I've been having correspondence with people like this they're not apparently any lower than well, you, I think you wrote about did you not a report from was it Germany where yeah. they said it was at its lowest point and then it turned out it wasn't that's right I mean the it, it, the, 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 the paper said that the Rhine reached a new low and then mm. later on the story was written by two people which could explain this <laughs> one of them said it was a new low and then somebody else pitched in at the bottom saying actually no it's not as low as it was was right. in 2018 and somebody wrote to me and said nor is it as low as it was in 1920 so i don't yes. know but it's i'm i'm not inclined to panic about these things no i'm not uh, what i am inclined to do is think seriously about it. so for instance if instead of wasting all this rubbish um, money on the rubbish plan of hs2 which has there's no purpose for it at all that no. i can see for a long long time it's made sense in this country to have a national water grid which would transfer mm. water from the wetter parts of the country and the less populated parts of the country to the particularly to yes. the drier southeast it's very expensive mm. but once you've done it you really wouldn't have a water crisis mm. ever again i don't think no the fre- there's huge amounts watch it, it, it it's happened, i've even seen this in the middle east but huge amounts of where it rains fresh water just runs away yeah uh, and it's, it's never used. It just runs away, ends up in the sea or, and, and flows away when the rivers are full. Uh-huh. And it's wasted. And we just haven't overcome this. And a national water grid would, would make a huge contribution mm. to this. And well, it, would it, also, would. it would also, I think, quite possibly uh, be quite useful in flood alleviation because you could pipe water a, a, away from areas yeah. which are in danger of flooding. Well, I mean, flooding but, but is... But a really worthwhile yes. piece of, of national engineering which would last for a century yeah. to come. And, and it's it's occasionally raised, but nothing ever gets mm. done. Whereas this ludicrous HS2, which has never had any real point to it, except to get David Cameron off a hook over right. over, over Heathrow's extra. Nobody runway. wants it. It's it's not wanted. It probably will never get finished. No. And it, when it is finished. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It won't run at the projected speeds because no. it's so expensive. and it certainly won't run well, on why Sundays. Why don't we switch to something well, worthwhile? And also it won't run on Sundays because all the drivers will have the day off. No, as well. You know, unless they can negotiate it properly. But you're also right to say that brownness of the of the land is something that we've had forever. I used to play a lot of golf when I was when I was younger. My father was Scottish, so it was a little yeah. derriere thing to do. And basically, I used to play a place called Royal Mid Surrey in Richmond. It was very much a heathland yeah. next to Richmond Rugby Club. And every summer, it was brown. And everybody loved it because you could hit the ball and it would run forever. Yeah. And every single summer it was brown, and every single autumn it turned it's back to green. It's amazing how quickly it goes back to green yeah. once the rain falls. But I, I remember no one's mentioning. Everyone goes on about 1976, and why shouldn't they? It was a, it, because of the amazing Dennis Howell Minister for Rain era, which mm. is unforgettable. But when I came back from living in the USA at the end of the summer of 1995. I came back to a country that was certainly the south of England. It was wholly parched. Yeah, and no one mentions that. Now that's that's seventy six and ninety five, mm. two definite occasions when there, there'd been a, a long, long dry period. Yeah, uh, it's it, what I ask. What I ask people to do is is is, is not to make a pattern mm. out of something which isn't necessarily a pattern. It's obviously warmer than it was. Yeah. I mean, Moscow again, where I used to live. I, last time I was there, summer of twenty nineteen. Uh, summer's tremendously hotter than they used to mm. be and the winter's not as cool so the river always used to freeze yeah. when I lived there in the early 1990s in winter as it now did it, here now it sometimes doesn't right and it, it's obviously warmer the question is why yeah and 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 is there and is this a, a huge long term pattern? And is there an obvious causal link or not? I'm prepared to listen to anybody about this, but what I am not prepared to do is get shouted down mm. for saying some of the things that we do are silly. Yes. And it remains that one of the really we have a big energy crisis in this country now. And one of the reasons for it is that we've closed down a lot of our coal fired power generation, uh, supposedly to save the planet. But even if this is correct. The Chinese build so many coal-fired mm. power stations every year that everything that we did by closing down is just cancelled mm. out. Absolutely So right. we're left with no recourse to this now. We're going to have to re rely increasingly on imported energy from countries mm. which can't necessarily spare it. And that's where the trouble's going mm. to come. Exactly right. I saw a good statistic the other day, which I'll tell you about in a moment. I'm just going to take a short break. Peter Hitchens is here. Uh, we're talking about the cost of energy, uh, the price of energy. And, of course, we'll be talking about a great many other things as well, including uh, what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, this is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got lots more coming up. John Redwood will be here with us in a short while to talk about why uh, he probably doesn't like the Labour plan for energy. Uh, he's probably got a better plan himself. But we're talking to Peter Hitchens right now. I found this uh, statistic the other day, which was in Forbes magazine. The only problem with some of it is that um, 
uh, some of the measurements I don't quite understand. You might be able to help me out. But it says basically transport emissions make up 27% of all UK greenhouse gas emissions with car travel accounting for over half of this total. So if you called it, I don't know, 14% right. of all emissions caused by cars. I mean, it seems to me that they, the attack on the car driver and on the existence of cars is out of all proportion to the fact that only 14% of the emissions are caused well, by there's cars. No, there's no point in attacking cars. People don't drive cars, or some people, I suppose, might, might be crazy enough to drive cars because they enjoy it, but most people drive cars because they have to. Mm. I actually quite enjoy driving, except for the fact uh, that when it's, when I'm in traffic... The, you go to the cinema, you watch the car advert... And there's people driving along these empty cities, presumably filmed <laughs> at four in the morning, yes. or, or through Scottish glens where the roads have been cleared mm. and there's nobody else on the road. Right. Like, so you get into this fantastic liberating machine, you sit in the same traffic jam as everybody else. However much you paid for yes. it, however stylish it is, it must be a disappointment. Most of them spent, I should think, probably 95% of their time depreciating, mm. either in the gutter or in a car yes. park. And it, often depreciating on borrowed money as well. Yeah. And uh, they are... Um, they, they, they force us to redesign our cities and our countryside in ways which don't suit the very mm. large numbers of people who can't drive. If you want to reduce driving, you do what the Swiss do. You provide alternatives. Yeah. In the city of Zurich, yes. they have now got such fantastic trams mm. that people leave their Mercedes and, at home. Yeah, and they I, prefer to travel by tram. That's the way to yes, get cars. And there's nothing and there's nothing wrong with that at all as far as I'm concerned. And the problem with the, the, the transportation systems in this country is that the cities are not bad, but elsewhere, which is basically most of the yeah. country, it's hopeless. Well, I mean, even like, in Sussex, well, where, my, where my children live, I've, I've said this yeah. before, one of them goes to a, a sixth form college, uh, which is about, I don't know, say a 20-minute, 25-minute bus ride away. There's only one bus that he can get in the morning. Yeah. And if he doesn't get that bus, there isn't another one. Yeah, well, this is what we, we, we pulled up a fantastically good, very expensive uh, transport system when we destroyed all the railway branch lines. Now, almost all of them will be incredibly busy mm. because so many people live in small towns and out in the countryside, yeah. but you can't use them anymore. And uh, they would they would be very easy to run on, 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 on low-energy, you know, ra- rapid, um, rapid small vehicles. But they've just gone. Yeah. And it would cost an absolute packet to put them back. It's incredibly stupid decisions yes. that we make in this country. We destroy it. It's like, like I mentioned the, the power stations earlier on. We didn't just mothball them, mm. which an intelligent person recognising he can't read the future would have done. We blew them up. Yeah. So they're not Incredible. there anymore. No, I know. I still, I, as, I if, as if they didn't ever want anybody to be able to revisit well, it looked, that. it looks like it, doesn't, doesn't it? it? Yeah. And here's the thing that I don't get, right? And this is where I start to question this climate science or whatever they wish to call it. A 2000, this is from Forbes magazine. A 2017 study found that having one fewer child led to 58.6 tonnes CO2 equivalent, TCO2E, emission reductions per year. Now, I don't know how they work that out. I suspect it's <laughs> well, not true. I, I'm, um, and also, I don't really know what TCO2E is. Well, I'm sure there's a footnote someone would explain it. There will I'm, be. I am not your man. Living TCO2. car-free would lead to 2.4 TCO2E savings per year. And if you didn't go transit on a transatlantic flight, you would avoid 1.6 TCO2E. There are people who listen to this nonsense and believe it and go, oh, I've now saved 5.6 TCO2Es uh, a year. I'm hugely in favour of people making an effort not to mess up the planet. And I've, for long years, I've thought that people, you know, people should 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 try not to you know, trash it with throwing litter and filling the air with filth and all the other things people do. But the best way of doing that is, 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 is in your own life to be as as 
as frugal about energy and as actually the other thing is to to, to, to use non-motor transport as much yes. as you possibly can. Anybody can do it. You could, everybody can pretty much can walk or ride a bicycle f- for part of their daily yes. journey. If they did that, first of all, they'd use less energy and, and, and save a lot of money. And secondly, they'd make mm. themselves healthier. And if the global warming people are right, uh, then they would also reduce the risk of that. So d- do that. Stop lecturing other people, yes. it seems to be. Stop gluing yourself to other people's trains and gluing yes. yourself to the roads other people are using. Change your own life. Morality is not about ordering other people no. about. It's about ordering your own life. Do you know what was interesting? We had a caller earlier on today uh, who had found, uh, fascinatingly, a, um, an out, a, a, a document from the Second World War which was sent to all households as to how you could help the war effort yeah. by cutting down on your use of fuel. Right. Um, and it was all about what you could do rather than what you shouldn't do. And I think that's the difference between then and now. Difference. Because, it But is. also, what, you know what they found to be the most sort of um, wasting um, machine of all was a toaster. So if you don't use your toaster for a year, even though they had toasters we could, in the we could build, um, we could we could have enough energy to make two thousand bullets. I don't think I encountered my first toaster until about mm. nineteen sixty. We mm. used to put bread under the grill. We used to put bread under the grill, but I guess or indeed sometimes toasted in front of a fire on a fork. Well, there was that. Yeah, we used to bake potatoes in our bonfire. Yeah, um, those things as well. On, 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 on the, the, other, the other thing that I should tell you is, is that one of the fires that was caused last week, I, I thought of you, uh, was by an electric bicycle, uh, which somebody had parked inside their flat in East yeah, London. and it exploded. And it had exploded, yeah, they spontaneously did. combusted, yep. and they had to jump out the window. Yep, this is so why, much not, this is why the these things are not allowed on the tube. Yeah. They, did, they weren't. They, they weren't them on. Electric scooters. One of the many, many reasons. Electric scooters do oh, the same thing. Scooters. Well, yes. Yeah. Let's but talk I've, about I've, what can one do? I've tried to warn the world, <laughs> and now the world is just going to have to get used to these mad. It's interesting. Devices. Actually, I know you retweet. I think you retweeted it. The, the interview that we did back in 2020. Yeah. When you were talking about how this was going to cost the economy so much money. Yes, I mean, it was incredibly it, accurate. Yeah. It was, wasn't it? And and I, me I, too. Me, you know, <laughs> thick old, stupid old right wing me, and I was right. Just fancy that. I know. Just fancy that. Talk to us about your piece in the, about Ukraine this week. Well, I just there's, actually there's, there's, there's quite on this energy business. There's a very good piece in Daily Mail this morning by uh, by Dominic Lawson about nuclear power and the, mm. the hysteria and superstition about it and how people hugely overestimate the dangers of it. But there is this nuclear power station in Zaporizhia, what I call Zaporizhia, yes, yeah. because I'm old, um, in Ukraine, and the Russians captured it during the horrible invasion in, I think, February, uh, very almost immediately. And they have camped out in it, and they are fairly disgracefully using it as a place in which to bombard the Ukrainians nearby. Mm. Well, as now I keep reading in the papers and hearing on the BBC that, the, that, that everyone's terribly worried about how the Zaporizhia uh, nuclear power plant is being shelled. Right. But it's always being shelled. Right. Nobody says who's shelling it. No. And I thought, okay, I'll just see if anybody has ever suggested this might have been done by the sainted, lovely, perfect, faultless Ukrainians. Yes. I googled Ukrainians shell Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Nothing came right. up. But quite a lot of stories about how the Russians were somehow <laughs> being blamed for shelling themselves. themselves yeah. Now, come on. We really do need to grow up a bit yeah. about this. But I keep saying this is not Gandalf mm. versus the Orcs. There are faults on both yeah. sides. Also, and it, you can't, but is this not more the media, though, than the 
Leave us children. Yes. Instead of being allowed to say, look, this is a war in which you know, people do bad things on both yeah. sides. It's One side is sainted. The other side is totally villainous. Well, Ukrainian the forces... We actually now have the Russians shelling yeah. themselves in a nuclear power station. <laughs> I mean, particularly... monstrous The Ukrainian nonsense. forces are actually killing Russians. There's nothing wrong with saying that. That's what they do. And why, no, if, if, why, no, it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do under the circumstances. Yeah. And, and uh, that... But, but I'm I'm not going to get worked up about that. But there, there was also this Amnesty International report saying that Ukrainians have been sheltered, Ukrainian troops have been sheltering in civilian buildings, yeah. uh, some of the sort which are generally uh, thought as, as 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 places you shouldn't target and yeah. therefore you shouldn't shelter. And well, I'm absolutely sure that all troops do this all the time. Yeah. Uh, but it was the report came out; it was quite damaging to the Ukrainian army. And what's happened is that Amnesty International, which a few years ago was the most heroic organization mm. in the history of mankind, is now being targeted by by huge hose pipes full of slime. Yeah. I don't know where they get the slime in this dry mm. weather, but they've got enough slime to absolutely pour it over Amnesty International yeah. for daring to suggest that Ukrainians might just conceivably have done something wrong. But they, I, this is thing. I, the President Zelensky, a man for whom I have a lot of time, uh, has been running this campaign to, to ban Russians from yeah. traveling anywhere in Europe. This seems to me to be xenophobic. Yeah. And it, anybody it else, and anybody it else be do it. Wrong. There are lots of Russians who don't support the mm. war. You can't just target everybody no. who holds a Russian passport as, no. as, and declare them guilty. And yet he doesn't get criticised for this. No, of course well, he doesn't get criticised for anything. Because well, anyway. Ukrainians can't do anything wrong. Well, they can, actually. Yes. Well, there you said. Uh, there it's been said now. So now it's <laughs> the know. only place it's... you can say it. Peter Hitchens, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we're just out of time. Coming up, we're going to speak to John Redwood. He's going to talk about the cost of living crisis, what he would do if he was in charge... Uh, and we'll get all that coming next on Talk TV. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to Talk TV. This is, of course, the Independent Republican Mike Graham, the home of common sense. You just heard an awful lot of it from Peter Hitchens there. Uh, we, we had so much to talk about, so much to catch up on, uh, because I have been away for a couple of weeks. Last week, I was doing breakfast. There's still, of course, an energy crisis. You just heard on the news the thunderstorms that we were told were coming have started. Uh, they're in Scotland. They'll be moving down south over the course of time. And, of course, uh, we are being assured by meteorologists and people who should know better that it won't do any good uh, to the drought situation because it's the wrong kind of rain. I'm not quite sure how you would explain that, but by all means, uh, do try and call me and tell me what the wrong kind of rain means. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, of course, uh, we've got a great many things to talk about, including taking some of your calls. Right now, though, uh, let us talk to John Redwood, who's Conservative MP, of course, for Wokingham. He's always had some pretty solid ideas on what to do about the cost of living crisis, what to do about generating our own energy as well. Uh, Let's see what he has to say uh, about the latest energy plan from the Labour Party. John, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Well, the problem with the Keir Starmer plan is that he would make the underlying problem worse. The problem is we're not generating enough of our own electricity or getting enough of our own gas uh, out from our potential gas fields. Uh, And if you clobber the profits of anyone who supplies energy uh, and then put in very expensive tax subsidies on the price to increase demand, Uh, you make the problem considerably worse. You've got even more demand and you've got less supply. Yes. I mean, the the word... What we need is a long-term solution and a short-term solution to getting more supply available to people. And, of course, there needs to be help for those on low incomes who who really cannot afford these bills. Uh, And that is exactly what the government has put in place 
the third quarter and the new prime minister will need to look at for the rest of the winter. Yes. I mean, I think the, the struggle for an awful lot of people and, and why uh, in the Times today, three out of four Tory voters actually quite like Keir Starmer's plan is that it is at least a plan of some kind. I know that you've said the government is already helping people, but I think a lot of Tory voters are uneasy uh, with the government just giving money away to people so they can pay extortionate bills uh, so that companies uh, like the oil and energy companies can make massive profits. Yeah, well, that's the Starmer plan again, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm sure when people see the detail over the next day or two, as you and others explain it to them, they'll realise this is more a hoax than a solution. Uh, because, of course, the taxpayers will be paying for the subsidies that will need to go to the energy companies who cannot otherwise afford to keep on supplying um, energy that costs them rather more to buy than mm. they're allowed to charge the people using it. One way or another, we, the customers, end up paying either as customers or as taxpayers or as both. And the idea that you can get all the tax revenue uh, out of the energy companies is clearly untrue. Uh, and we can see in the, the Starmer figures, he needs other general taxation as well on top. And if you overtax the energy companies, then you'll have fewer energy companies and you'll certainly have less supply of energy. You will. But when you see or when ordinary people see uh, Aramco's profits today, as they saw Shell's profits before mm. and BP's profits, 40 billion here, mm. 20 billion there. It seems unfathomable that if they're making that much money, why are they charging so much for the the energy because they're telling us that they're having to pay excess wholesale prices right and they're having to pay all sorts of green levies and all the rest of it well if that's true then how are they making so much profit well aramco isn't saying that of course aramco is just cleaning up uh, because there is a world shortage of oil uh, they're helping keep the supply short of course because they they weren't getting out all of the oil they could get out mm. And all the time, we and countries like us refuse to get all the oil and gas out from our own resources, the more we're going to pay ransom demands from Aramco. Of course, the profits were enormous, and they're all lost to us. That's British consumers having to pay more for their oil because Aramco can get away with it. Mm. The only solution to that is to find other sources of oil to create proper competition in that market. That's where the UK can do more for itself, and that's where this government is now saying, uh, they want to get more out of the North Sea instead of stopping us getting oil. Yeah. But is it not also clear, John, um, that we are sort of hobbled, if you like, hidebound by these ridiculous green um, levies, by green policies? We're told, for example, that environmental reasons have been the cause of no more building of reservoirs, you know, that desalination plants can't be built because they're bad for the for the planet, so we can't get water out of the sea. You know, we have to charge people an energy tariff that allows for renewable energy to be invested in. You know, if we could do away with all of those tariffs and all of those, you know, taxes for green energy, wouldn't that be an idea? Well, we certainly need to to rejig it and have common sense approaches to net zero. I've been a long-standing critic of the idea that we should stop getting new gas out of the UK in order to make a contribution to worldwide gas reduction, only to have to import it at much dearer prices and not get the benefit of the tax on it because it comes from the UK. And it's not even green, Mike, because if we end up importing LNG gas, as we have been doing, uh, it generates a lot more CO2 Mm. to actually get the gas out somewhere else, compress it, put it in a big ship, and then decompress it when you get to the UK. You waste an awful lot of uh, energy and you create a lot of CO2. You needn't have created 
if we simply got yeah. our own gas out and brought it down a pipe from but our this gas is, field. But this is precisely my point, because all we're doing is this kind of virtue signalling. Look at us. We don't make our own gas anymore because it's too horrible for the planet. This is the German yeah. disease, the EU disease, because Germany had exactly the same problem. They import all their gas from, from Russia. So it's not like they're not using gas. They're just not producing it. No, and that's what we've got to change. And I'm very pleased that Liz Truss has said that she will at least temporarily suspend, suspend the green levies, which are a big extra penalty uh, on our energy bills. Uh, and, and that is obviously hitting the customers at a bad time when world energy prices have gone up uh, too much to mm. start with. Yes. And just one final question on Liz Truss. Um, She's obviously got a couple of years if she wins. I think she will. I don't, can't really see Rishi Sunak suddenly, you know, grasping a victory from the jaws of defeat. But are you convinced, because the polling would say not, uh, that she can beat Keir Starmer in an election? I mean, I find it impossible to believe that Keir Starmer could win an election. I'd be amazed. But, but that's what the polls are saying. Well, I think Liz can win um, an election. But obviously, there's two years' hard work first put in because the Conservative government has to show... Uh, that having got us out of Europe and, and having uh, dealt with COVID, it can now go on and get growth uh, and rescue us from the, the poor economic prognosis the Bank of England has put out and get us through this cost of living crisis. It's a big agenda she will need. I think she's up to it. And then the British public will judge. Yes. Well, let's hope that uh, we can get on with it sooner rather than later, because there's quite a few things that need sorting out. John, uh, always interesting to talk to you. Always great to hear your ideas. Thank you very much indeed. John Redwood there, Conservative MP for Wokingham, a man uh, who always does um, have a lot of common sense ideas. A lot of people wish he was back, actually, uh, in the Cabinet. Uh, Ginny says this on the women's football, men's football front. Absolutely agree, Mike. People need to stop being offended or pretending to be. It's football and doesn't belong to men or women. I personally prefer the men's game and don't care if that offends anyone. Well, absolutely right. Uh, I was in Dundee. Uh, sorry, I am in Dundee, says Gary. And it was thundering and lightning from 10.30 Sunday night until 7.30 this morning. Uh, the thunderstorms have stopped now, but it's still raining. Well, if it's been raining all night in Dundee, surely to heavens, it must be the right kind of rain, mustn't it? How can it be the wrong kind of rain? Surely some mistake. Uh, this is Talk TV. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. It is, of course, the third hour of the show. We're now into post-midday, and the rain still hasn't fallen here in London. Uh, it is falling in other parts of the country, though. Uh, here's one from John in Burnham-on-Sea. Mike, just had heavy rain here, and guess what? It's making the fields and lawns all wet and soaking in as normal. From John. Uh, thanks very much for that. Uh, both in West Welsh Wales here, uh, says Brexit Duck. Early morning thunder and rain has failed to spark any wildfires. Well, that's good news, isn't it? That's a relief. Uh, we've been showing you a, um, a video of a bloke trying to stop a combine harvester from uh, normal operations in a farm, uh, basically because he didn't want his sandwich to be covered in dust. I mean, some people go to the countryside who have no clue. We're going to talk to James Whale, uh, the legend that is, of course, the nighttime talk TV presenter, 10 o'clock. Uh, he'll be here towards the end of the week. Uh, Daisy McAndrew back in at 10 tonight, though. Uh, lots more for us to do. We're going to talk about pets. People are apparently giving their pets back. Ones that they got during the lockdown. Some of them are saying they can't afford to keep them. Others, I'm sure, are just going, do you know what? 
I just don't want it anymore, which is a terrible thing to say and a terrible thing to do. We'll keep taking your calls on the cost of uh, energy. We'll take your calls as well on Keir Starmer. Uh, and of course, we will keep taking your calls uh, on the subject of men's versus women's football. Uh, Graham Souness got himself into some sticky territory by claiming uh, that it was a man's game uh, after there was a punch-up between the managers of Chelsea and Tottenham yesterday. Great game, fantastic game. I think he's being very hard done by. Some people think um, he's become the devil incarnate for describing football as a man's game. For heaven's sake, let's talk to James Whale, uh, who is, of course, uh, the voice of sanity down there in Kent. I don't know whether you've seen any thunder and rain down there yet, James, have you? No, unfortunately, uh, I've got the dogs here, but uh, unfortunately, I haven't seen any rain. It is so warm again yeah. uh, that I've come inside and uh, I would like rain. So if you could send me, sorry about that, uh, if you could send me some rain, I would. Um, <laughs> well, listen, I'm, I'm assured I'm assured that it's coming this afternoon and that the temperature is going to drop significantly Good. sort of overnight. So Good. you should be all right Good. by tomorrow. Good. Well, that will be excellent. And of course, uh, it's so hard outside and in this part of the Garden of England, uh, we're on clay, so it'll just flood down uh, and out and disappear because the idiots who run the water companies and a lot of the idiot politicians have done nothing, nothing uh, to make sure that we can collect the water. How can we in one of the wettest countries in the world, surrounded by water, run out of it? They don't well, run out of it in Saudi Arabia. No. Well, in Saudi Arabia, they've got a massive desalination plant because they take the water out of the yeah. sea, which I was being ridiculed for at the weekend because people thought uh, that you can't, couldn't do it. But actually, of course you can do it. You know, we are surrounded by water, James. It's incredible. There's a great big river running through London. It's called the Thames. Do you know yeah. that it rises and falls where I live by about 50 to 60 feet a day? I mean, you could collect the water from that if you wanted to. Well, I, I lived on the river, as you know, for many, many years and we were always being told that London is going to flood because London is below the uh, level of the Thames. Yes. And, they squat. and it still hasn't flooded, but it will. And it'll have nothing to do with climate change. It'll have to do with the way we uh, we built around it. Yes. But a serious point. If we don't get these people in the water companies, there's a great leak down at London Bridge. Have you seen it? Yes. Yeah. There was nobody there the other night when I came into the studios. Why don't they work through the night to fix it? They don't do that here. Do no, they? no, not a thing. In France, they would. Yeah, of course. I mean, in yeah. almost every other country, they do yeah. things when people are not actually, you know, using the part that part of the road. I mean, they've started to do it now on the A21. They've actually started shutting it at night and doing some Good. work. But you can imagine how much how much that's costing us. But let's talk about uh, a couple of other things, James. Story, yeah. I know pets, your, your dogs are very dear to your heart. Um, apparently, people are giving their dogs and cats and exotic pets back uh, to where they got them from. Um, some people are saying it's because they can't afford to keep them. I wonder if it's people who got them during lockdown and who mm. now just don't fancy them. Well, I think you're right. If, if somebody's having to give their pet back because they can't afford it, there are charities that might help them out. And I hope that they do mm. because your pet's very important to you. Yes. But the idiots, uh, and there are a lot of them, unfortunately, in lockdown, uh, a lot of civil servants still working at home too. They can get back to flipping yeah. work. 2.1 um, uh, days was the average number of days people worked in office last week. 2.1. Yeah, there is no discipline. No discipline. You know, as soon as somebody tells you to do something, they go to their boss. I'm being bullied. <laughs> well, you know, the fact, listen, this is a really important point. Those people who got pets and they say, oh, we don't want them, we've got to go to work. I, I'd prosecute them. I would prosecute yeah. them because they don't deserve to have animals. You've got a dog. Yeah, you don't just give up on the dog, do you? 
No. Do you shut your dog away? Do you lock it out? My dogs sleep with me. Yes. And and Lady W and I had a I had a, I had a disturbed night. I won't go to it last night, but uh, so they're knackered today. <laughs> and and if if things get very tight, then you cut back on something. You wouldn't cut back on feeding your dogs, would you? No, because they're part of the family. And these people who have dogs and they say, "I'm getting a dog so the children will be used to them." Well, that's not a good enough reason. No, I'm getting a dog, but it stays in the kitchen. Well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. You shouldn't have an animal. In fact, that's animal cruelty. So yeah. no, I, people who had dogs. Uh, and then they got bored because, you know, the lockdown finished and they wanted to go clubbing or they wanted to do mm. something. They should be prosecuted. Yes. I would. Well, do you know what's also <laughs> happening, James? Which you might want to watch out for this once the, 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 the torrent starts running down the high street. Um, apparently exotic pets like snakes and lizards have, yeah. sim- have been abandoned in the street, right? Well, yeah. And I'll tell you something else that's, uh, that's upset me. I found two little baby blue tits dead today. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, the reason I think the reason is there is no water yes. for, for any animal. So I found uh, a couple of rabbits dead the other day because there is no water. I mean, all the places that wild animals would drink yeah. has dried up. Yeah, you can, put, you can put a little saucer of water out for the birds. That's what yeah. we do. Well, I've, yeah, I have done all over the garden, but um, it's, it's getting to the stage where a lot of these animals are just not finding enough water to survive. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, there's a yeah. lot of stupid things going on in the countryside. I don't know if you've seen it, but if you haven't seen it, I'm about to show it to you. A bloke oh, yeah. actually <laughs> went went out into the countryside, right, um, and stood in front of a guy who was trying to use a combine harvester in a field. Have a look at this. It's absolutely unbelievable. You'll see him in a minute. This is the guy driving the combine Just harvester. Behind you. Where are you? This is the farmer in her car trying to find this bloke who's holding up the. Uh... Oh my god! He's just standing there, look. Oh, hello! Hiya! Very dangerous. Hello! As if they hadn't seen him, they'd just mashed him up. He'd be part of your Weetabix in the morning. <laughs> look at him! What a plank! He's been nominated for Plank of the Week already, this guy. So she goes to try and talk to him, right? He's, he's incensed. <laughs> Don't care what your name is. They sprayed his... He's trying, to, he's trying to have a family meal, he says. I mean, do you not know what happens in the countryside? I... Do you know, I'll go back. It makes me quite angry, okay? Yeah. Because people like that annoy me intensely. Yes. And there's no discipline. I mean, had it been me, if I'd been the farmer, I would have got out, and I shouldn't say this because I'm really, in, it's the heat getting to me, okay? Um, I would have smacked him. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, he's endangering his own life. They, can, they might not have spotted him. Yeah. Supposing you hadn't spotted him and you combined him. Yeah. Whatever. It would have messed up all that grain. Why are people so thick and I so don't know. And why well, do you think... Well, I can wear shorts. Yeah, and also, why do they think, these people, that they can go out into the countryside and dictate how people should do what they do for a living? You know, it's like people who go to the countryside and say, oh, I don't like it out here, it's quite dark. Why, why are there no street lights? Well, because it's the country, right? I know. I'm, I'm getting fed up with people like him, fed up with the people who actually are not... Uh, sorry, you get me on the go now. I am fed up... <laughs> 
We live in such a place with these criminals breaking into our country. 600 yesterday. Yeah. Um, we had 700 the other day. I get all these charity people go, oh, you're so horrible. These people, and they're not women and children. So why do the BBC, Sky and others always show women and children? They're men of a military age, yes. young military age, and they are criminals. Mm. And, and mm. then you get these lawyers who say, oh, no, they're not. They can claim asylum. Well, change the law. Yes. Because well, more important than that, we had a caller today, James, who's 85, trying to get his 85th birthday party organised, two yeah. hotels nearby in Wakefield, no, no, no longer available for party hire because yeah. they're booked by Serco. They're full of illegal migrants. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what I want, and I think what the majority of people want. Either gunboats in the channel, and I don't care anymore, mm. because this is an invasion force. 20,000 people have come in so far this year, right? So over the past couple of years, we've got over 100,000 people who've broken into this country, country illegally, mostly men of a military yeah. age. What are they here for? Yeah. Well, 40% of them, it turns out, are from Albania, where yeah. we're not even, where, where they could actually come legally. So yeah, they're so clearly they, coming for illegal purposes. So are they sent by ISIS, the Taliban? Are they sleepers? We could have an invasion. Um, this is a conspiracy theory I've just made up, by the way. But is, you know, it could be true. Yeah. Well, listen, we at the very least, we should know who these people are. Um, yeah. And my, otherwise, what's the point? You know? No, I absolutely agree. And I don't care who comes here. I don't care what colour you are. I don't care whether you're gay, straight or in between. I couldn't care less. Non-binary. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to describe you. you know. um, so, so. Listen, when are you coming to do Plank of the Week with me? When you invite me, I'll come All in right, and do Listen, we'll fix a date. We'll definitely get Chuck to sort that because we need All to right. have you in for some, uh, some proper debate. But we seriously, before I go, this is a serious situation. Yeah. You live on the south coast yeah this is a serious situation with these people coming in day after day after day and we have veterans and we have elderly people who can't find anywhere to live who aren't getting enough money to live on we cannot cope with it mm. and the charities that seem to set themselves up to look after them have to be stopped mm. absolutely right james well said thank you very much indeed james whale see you on thursday night i think it is uh, for uh, more of the james whale experience of course and then he's got big shows friday and saturday uh, as well right here on talk tv we've got much more to do uh, we're going to talk about why lawyers could be now uh, employed uh, be when they become robots which is going to be an interesting one but also we're talking about channel uh, migrants and the illegal business of people coming here um, without any permission, without any legal basis to do so. We'll be talking to our correspondent, Kim, uh, who's down there on the south coast of Kent for us. She's going to be showing us some footage that she's been filming down there. Kim Rye, independent journalist, uh, Talk TV exclusive, coming up with that. Uh, we'll take more of your calls, of course, 0344 499 1000. Jeremy Kyle uh, will be here as well. I'm back on his show tonight after 8 o'clock. And of course... Uh, we'll be talking to him as well. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, Dr. Keon Ahadi is here, Director of Futures and Insight at the Law Society. Uh, Dr. Keon, a very good morning to you. Oh, I should say good afternoon. Uh, hi, Mike. Good afternoon. Nice to see you. This sounds a bit mad to me, but, but talk me through it. Are you talking about kind of a, a chip that would go inside a lawyer that was already a lawyer? Well, just to give you a bit of context about the report, um, this is one of our foresight reports, which looks at trends that are going to impact society and, and by association, the legal profession in the next 10 to 15 to 20 years. Yeah. 
So we're not suggesting that this will happen. It's just a, a one scenario that could pan yes, out. Yes. So, uh, oh no, I, I get that, but I just wonder if yeah. it's if it's something that you're um, you would you're not actually creating a robot lawyer. You're basically making a lawyer into a more efficient being. Yeah, I mean, I guess what's happening at the moment, you know, with Elon Musk and other developments by some of the, the big tech companies are the suggestions about using implants to interface directly with the human nervous system or, you know, microchip chips being used in the brain to enhance performance. At the moment, a lot of this is used in medical interventions. Uh -huh. But what the report does also say is that this is a possibility. It could become more wide scale the use and, and one use of it could be within the legal profession. But we do flag a lot of ethical and kind of legal issues about using this type of technology because obviously it hasn't been trialed there could be lots of unintended consequences so we put a balanced perspective in the report but yeah i mean this is something that could be happening we're seeing more and more use of technology now iphones people have you know fit watches that they kind of monitor uh, various activity on so th this is a trend right. that's happening yeah i mean I'm, I'm reading in the times piece this morning elon musk's been investing in neurotechnology for about the last eight years so i mean there's clearly things that are moving in that direction um but what would be the advantage specifically from the money point of view? Because is it just a, a question of speed? Would it be that they could read things quicker or read more documents? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I've got to confess, I'm not a solicitor by background, but my background is very much analytics, AI data. Yeah. That's that's my kind of experience. So you can use artificial intelligence. There's not genuine artificial intelligence that I understand it at the moment in, in terms of it being fully self-aware. What we have at the moment is predictive algorithms, which basically helps speed up and automate a lot of processes. So we're seeing a lot of increase in law tech being used by law firms, mm. for example, to review documents much more quickly and efficiently than they could by individuals having to review this information. So yes. you could put uh, put this in a system, thousands of documents could be uh, analysed, reviewed and, and checked within the time span. It would take hundreds of people to do it in a fraction of the, of, of the time yeah. scale. So if you wanted to extrapolate that forward five or 10 years, uh, and even 15 years into the future with some of the, uh, the uses that are happening and the investment that's going on, you could say that, yeah, this, this type of technology could become inserted into the human nervous system. So some, some of the proponents of this uh, are hoping that, you know, people can directly interface with the internet, uh, for example, and access information and download information. So it could enhance your mental capacity in that way. But yeah. obviously... There's lots of issues with that because who would be given this technology? What would be the side effects? What would be the ethical implications of this? Mm. How would it be monitored? Because, you know, at the moment, you know, if you use your computer, you can always be, um, you know, attacked by a cyber attack yes. or, you know, someone could hack into your information. So there's lots of implications of using this technology. But the theory and the idea is, and the advantages are, that it will allow your brain capacity to increase exponentially, which obviously would help you uh, take uh, a lot a lot quicker time to, to you know you could use a lot less time to basically do complex processes yeah i mean it could help uh, a lot of, would... it could help a lot of people with say learning difficulties as well but but as you say you wouldn't want to have that old manchurian candidate kind of scenario going on would you when somebody's like controlling you from a, an evil perspective and make you kill people <laughs> sorry for laughing yeah i mean I mean, look, you know, that's that's a real possibility. Artificial intelligence is uh, any form of artificial intelligence is going to be a reflection of the person that created it. Mm. So the intentions of that person, obviously, are going to have an impact on, on that technology. And technology in itself tends to be neutral, but its uses can be either positive or negative. So I think what we're trying to do in this report is outline the challenges, the issues that we understand. And we're really trying to stimulate thought and debate around this. 
And, you know, the, the Law Society represents 200,000 solicitors working across England and Wales. So it's important for us to begin this debate now mm. to make sure that the kind of legal apparatus, the ethical framework is in place to monitor and regulate these types of technologies yeah. as they become more used and widespread. Because, I mean, I guess it asks the other question is, is that, you know, if you could read a book in five minutes, would you? Um, what would you get from it? Do you know what I mean? If you could go, oh, look, I could now read War and Peace and I can literally read it on the bus on the way to work and then I finished it by the time we get there, would that be the same experience as actually reading it at a normal pace? Well, yeah, you're right. There's the, there's the element of human enjoyment, creativity. My personal opinion, this doesn't necessarily affect the law society, is that we've got to look at this area with a lot of caution. There are advantages. So, for example, you know, lots of people try and learn a language. You know, in the future, you could potentially have a language downloaded into, into your brain. You know, mm. This could be something that might be feasible. Uh, but again, when you speak that language and you go to the country, you're not going to learn all of the other things, the context that goes with that. So you're absolutely right. Mm. You take the human enjoyment and creativity element out of it. So my view is that technology AI has lots of advantages for automating and speeding up mundane things to make our lives easier and to really free us up to do the things that we enjoy. Yeah. But there's pleasure in reading. So would you really, like you said, want to kind of yeah, take that exactly. pleasure away? Well, it's a fascinating idea, but thank you for talking to, to us about it. Uh, Dr. Kiana Hardy there from the uh, Law Society, Director of Futures and Insight. Imagine if you could get something implanted into your brain uh, that could make you cleverer. Imagine what you could give the Ramonas, eh? Be amazing, wouldn't it? Let's talk to Keith, who's in Leicester. Hello, Keith. Hello, Mike. How are you doing, Good sir? Good to talk to you. I'm all right. Good, man. I was man. just about to self-combust when you were talking about the uh, immigrants coming in in droves. Yes. My father was a Dunkirk veteran, and he'd turn over in his grave if he knew what was going on here. Mm. Well, Peter, well, Peter Hitchens has, has written about this and said, you know, the English Channel used to be seen as a barrier to coming to this country. It used to be seen yeah. as a defensive wall. Now, apparently, it isn't. I can't understand why things are not being done about it. It just winds me up. It mm. just gets me absolutely... Oh, I know. I, I, can't, I can't tell you. I know. It, it's, uh, all these politicians and all these people are supposed to do this and do that and do the other, and all they're doing is absolutely nothing. Yeah. And not only that, the money it must be costing us, all these people in these hotels, are they actually feeding them as well? It must be nice. I know. It must be great, particularly in the hot weather. Nice air-conditioned room, um, a little bit of heating in the winter. You know, we saw a story the other day saying that they've still got to house 9,500 Afghan refugees who all came here after <laughs> Afghan uh, airlift went on. Um, but there is no housing for them, and there, is, there isn't much, much housing for people who need housing already. Well, there's a few stately homes that the royals own, which we could use, and I'm sure that there must be hundreds of rooms there mm. uh, re ready to accommodate them. Why can't we put them there? I know. Uh, well, I mean, surely to there. God, Keith, the whole point is we need to stop this racket that's going on and stop pretending uh, that it's for the good of the country, because it isn't, and let's stop pretending that all these people coming here, particularly from Albania, are not coming here uh, to get work as fruit pickers, because they're not. What's the bet, Mike, in another five years, four years' time that w when there's another explosion or some kind of terrorism in this country and they go, oh, by the way, they came over three or four years ago. Nobody checked on mm. them who they are. Mm. Uh, it, I know. It, it, it's, it's a shocking, it's an absolutely shocking state of affairs, Keith. But we're coming up, we're going to be talking to Kim Rye, uh, who's going to be down on the south coast for us. She's going to be giving us some footage that she's been shooting over the last few days uh, of the arrivals. We now know, we now know that officially 20,000 people have come here. Um, nobody knows who they are. Uh, supposedly, uh, nobody knows where they came from. But 
of course, the Ministry of Defence is now working that out an awful lot quicker because it turns out uh, that 40% of those coming uh, on these small dinghies are from Albania, a place where you can come to this country legally from. What are they doing exactly? Why are they coming illegally when they could come officially? Who knows? We'll try and get some answers for you. This is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.